All right. Mark 6, 30 to 44 says this. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy them something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. And then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for... This morning, we thank you for the opportunity to come before you and to give you the praise you deserve uh, in these songs of worship that we've just sung and, uh, and to proclaim your word, to look at your scripture and um, say what it says uh, and say it to our hearts. And uh, Lord, we pray that your word would challenge our hearts and encourage us this morning that Holy Spirit, you would guide and uh, direct and convict and uh, stir us up toward uh, love and good deeds. Lord, we pray for this word that it would be yours and not mine. Um, God, that as we continue to worship you through this activity of proclamation, that you would be glorified, not a man. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> um, has anybody ever gone to some sort of event and there's like, you got to get to a door and wait to get into the event? Ever been, ever had that kind of a scenario? Okay, Yeah. Uh, and how about one of the scenarios where you get to the event and you don't have like an assigned seat, it's just like first come, first serve? You know, you know that feeling, okay? Maybe it's a band, maybe it's a, I don't know, a comedy show, what, what, whatever it might be. You want to get there to see the show and you're just waiting at the door in that excitement of getting to that spot, getting the best spot there in the crowd. Um, this is kind of the scene that we're coming up upon as we see Jesus coming to this crowd that we read about in Mark chapter 6. Uh, you might remember from last week that uh, Jesus had just gone to his hometown of Nazareth, and in his hometown, the people didn't believe in what he could do. They didn't have faith in Jesus because they said, oh, this is just a man. He's, you know, he's, his brothers and sisters are right here among us, right? He, he, he's a carpenter. He's a son of Joseph. He's, this is just Jesus. We all know Jesus, and they didn't have faith in him. And Jesus marveled at the fact that they did not have faith and could not do any works. And in response to that, he sends out the 12 disciples, two by two, with nothing in hand, to go and do works. And so now the disciples have been sent out, and they're doing these marvelous works in the villages around Nazareth. 
Um, and here at the beginning of this passage, we find them returning to Jesus. And they say, Jesus, look at what we did. You told us to go out and do these marvelous works, and we did. You told us to go teach these things, and we did. And they're excited, and they come back to the Lord. And Jesus encourages them that it's now time to take a rest, to, to step back. He says to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. So the, the people were coming to the disciples and looking to be ministered to by these disciples so much that they didn't have time to stop and eat themselves. So they're, they're coming to the disciples back and forth, and, and Jesus says, okay, now it's time to step away, time to come away and, and take a rest. And so they follow Jesus and get into a boat and go out to a desolate place. This is funny to me because, uh, you know, you look at this passage and you think about Jesus and he knows exactly what's about to happen. But he tells the disciples, it's time now to, to come and rest from this time of ministry. Come step aside and just think about Jesus knowing what's about to actually happen. He knows what's coming when they get to this desolate place. And so it makes me laugh because their their rest never actually comes. The Lord calls them to rest. They go back to this desolate place. And in verse 33, we see this, uh, something's happening actually in the midst of Jesus and around his disciples. This building of a messianic expectation is coming forward. In verse 33, it says, Now many who saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So somehow they're realizing that Jesus and his disciples are going to some specific place, some desolate place, and they recognize that they're going to go follow Jesus and his disciples to this place. What we find out later is that they are wanting to follow these works of Jesus, and and they're actually wanting to make Jesus their king. There's a parallel story. This is actually one of the miracles, uh, the feeding of the 5,000 that we're reading about today, is one of the miracles that's recorded in every single gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record this miracle. And in John's uh, description of it, at the end of the miracle, once the people are fed, they're rushing about Jesus. And it says in, in John 6, 15, it says, Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Their intention in coming to follow Jesus to this desolate place, uh, to, to surround him and follow his mighty works, is to make him the king. Uh, this desolate area, this region around Galilee, is known as a, a hotbed, if you will, of the zealots. Uh, so those who would rebel against Rome often came from the area around Galilee. So it wasn't surprising to them uh, that this location was a place that they might be going. And so they, they, know specifically, uh, the, they know specifically which location to go to. So it says they went before him, right? As they go before him, they're going to this place. They know where they're going. They know what they want to see from Jesus. They want to exalt him as a king. They want him to come and rule over them. As John 6, 15 says, they wanted to make him king, and Jesus sneaks away. <laughs> That's not why he's there. 
So as he and the disciples are, are, you know, coming to this location, they see the crowd is building around the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus looks down at them in chapter 6, verse 34. It says this, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So Jesus, when he sees this crowd gathering around, he says, he, says, he sees them as a group of sheep without a shepherd. We think of that terminology, and we often use that terminology rightly to think of someone who pastors or shepherds a flock. But actually, uh, often in the Old Testament, that picture of sheep without a shepherd is, is one of their needing a leader. They're needing a king. They're needing someone to come and show them the way to go. So yes, there is a pastoral aspect to the sheep without a shepherd, but also the shepherd is the leader of the sheep. And that's kind of the intent here. He's seeing this people that they're looking for, they're clamoring for someone to lead them forward to what is next. And he has compassion on them and goes before them and teaches them many things. We don't know all of what he teaches them. I guarantee that three things are included. Right? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe is definitely among the things that Jesus is teaching to them. We've rehearsed that a number of times. I would guess that you know, Mark doesn't have this section that we find in, in like Matthew of the Sermon on the Mount where he gives all these different teachings about loving your neighbor and, and uh, loving even your enemy and all these things. And so I'm guessing like some of those teachings are happening, describing what it is to be the kingdom of God, like sharing these parables about what the kingdom of God is. So he's there teaching them, he's teaching them all day, even unto night. So much so that they get to the end of the night, and this group of crowd, this crowd that's been so excited to get there and see what happens and see what Jesus does next, has no food. They just saw Jesus going to this rallying point and chased after him. It says they ran to this place, got there ahead of the boat. So as they get there, it grows late as they're just listening to Jesus teach. And again, at the end of this, we see that it's a, a number of 5,000 men. So multiply that by 2.5 or something. We're like 10,000 plus people are surrounding this place. And they have not enough food. Verse 35 and 36, it says, And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to, to go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. You can kind of feel the disciples, right? Like they thought they were going away to get away with Jesus and be alone with Jesus for a minute, get a time of rest, and they're still looking for him. They're like, why don't we send these people away? Let them, let them get their own food. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And they said, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they have found out, they said five and two fish. And in John's, John's description, a little boy actually brings these, uh, this bread and fish to them. The disciples are now looking at this scenario and going, what in the world is happening? How is this going to go? In verse 39, it says, he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. Everyone takes a seat and they sit in groups all around the grass. And these five loaves, verse 40, 41, 
taking the five loaves and the two fish, the Lord looked up to heaven, said a blessing, broke the loaves, and gave it to the disciples to set before the people, and divided the two fish among them all. And it says in verse 42, and all were satisfied. This picture of Jesus breaking bread again and giving it to the disciples should be a, a foretaste, a, a, a kind of allusion, a shadowing toward the Last Supper when Jesus breaks again the bread and gives it to his disciples. He's providing for them beyond what they were looking for. Verse 44 again says that there are 5,000 of these folks that were uh, that all ate and all were satisfied. And, and at the end of it, verse 43, they took up 12 basketful of broken pieces and of fish. So they started with five loaves and, and two fish. And, and at the end of it, they've got 12 baskets full of fish and food and bread, right? This is a powerful story, and, and, and obviously one that you've heard before, and if you've gone to Sunday school or been, seen any childhood Bible book or whatever, this story is, is repeated. And actually, in, in Mark, it's recorded twice. We have uh, the feeding of the 5,000, and, and then he's going to feed another 4,000 later on. And so Jesus is going about you know, feeding huge crowds. But there's a few things that we need to look at this text with and, and take away. The first is this, that the crowd is right. The crowd is right to run to Jesus, okay? They're right. That's exactly where they need to be, is at the feet of Jesus. So as we look at the crowd, we should say, that was the right move, to run to Jesus. But the crowd's desire to run to Jesus wasn't for the reason that Jesus wanted them to be there. We've seen throughout the book of Mark that the crowd is looking for the show, they just want to be in the front row to see the next miraculous thing that Jesus does, the next uh, miracle that he performs, the next teaching that he may say. They want to be there for the excitement of what is going on. And that's what, not what Jesus is there for. They wanted to come and make him king. They wanted to exalt him as leader over Israel that they might overtake Rome. This is especially powerful, again, remind you, to the people that are receiving this letter, the persecuted Christians in the city of Rome. A reminder to, to them that this has never been about defeating the kingdoms of this world. It's never been about that, okay? So as, as these believers who are receiving this message from Mark remember the life of Jesus, they go, okay, when there was an opportunity for Jesus to be exalted as king, what did he do? Did he receive the, the, uh, the, the wishes of the crowd and come before them as king to rule against Rome? No, he didn't. He didn't take this opportunity to be crowned as king and put before them as leader to revolt against Rome. He did something different. He sat down with them. And he taught them what it is to walk in the kingdom of God. What it is to repent and believe. Jesus did not, does not, will not come 
to bring solutions to the political squabbles of humankind. He, he didn't do it then, okay? He's not doing it now, and he's not going to do that. His job is not to come, you know, look at the two sides or three sides or whatever, how many, however many sides there are in any given country, okay? He's not here to exalt the proper political party. He is here to introduce the kingdom of God. And this is a powerful moment in which he does that. What does he do? Instead of taking the crown on his head at this moment, these people are without food, and he gives them food. And one of the cool things that I like about how he does this is he separates them out into groups. Here this group of people is wanting to exalt this leader, and, and it's true, we, we have hearts that want to find a king. We want to exalt a leader. We want to find the best basketball player. We want to find the best uh, you know, person in our, in our field of industry or whatever. We want to find that person, exalt them, and follow them. We like to follow a person. Often that's because we like to blame all the problems on them <laughs> and not take, take it ourselves. We like to have a king. But Jesus didn't come for that. Instead, when he provides this food, he says, why don't you sit down in groups? Instead of looking to this person that you're hoping to exalt as a king over this little bitty kingdom down here that's just dust, <laughs> look at each other. Have a meal together, okay? You can imagine the fervor of a political crowd, right? Wanting to exalt the name of the leader that they are behind, chanting that name or whatever name it may be. We're not, you know, we, we've seen this. We, we've seen this show. Every day we see this show. Groups of people exalting their Messiah that's going to come and solve all the problems of our weary world. We see it every single day. And you might agree with one or the other, whatever. I don't care on that. Jesus is saying, look at each other. Share what God has given to you with one another. He gives this food to the disciples, and they slowly break it apart into these groups of hundreds and fifties, and these people that were there to go find Jesus and exalt him as king and follow him and let him deal with their junk. He says, why don't you guys just sit for a minute and look at each other, talk to each other. We do this all the time. Jesus is calling us to turn. He actually turns the crowd on themselves, right? They had run there to see this king be exalted. And instead he says, why don't you look at each other? Okay, take care of each other. And don't, don't worry about what else is going on. Unfortunately, we, we have to challenge ourselves as church to do the same thing. Oftentimes in church, one gifting is exalted over and against the others. And people come to exalt the name of a great communicator or a great leader and find hope and uh, direction from that great leader or great, uh, great communicator. I'm sorry you don't have either of those here. So, you know, good luck. If you're looking for that, you're in the wrong place. Um, but the truth is the focus of ministry in the church should never be on one individual. It should be on Jesus 
What Jesus gives you as a body, you should be giving unto one another, sitting down in groups where you can vulnerably interact with each other and do life on life with each other. That's exactly what Jesus does here. This great moment that was supposed to be a political rising for the crowd turns into a meal, a sharing of food provided by our God in heaven. So two things right at at the outset. Jesus has invited us to an entirely different kingdom. He's invited us to care, have our biggest concern over a kingdom that is not of this world. To set our hearts and our minds on eternity, on a holy God who has called us to follow him in repentance and belief. And let everything else fall where it may. Remember, this message is sent to the persecuted church in Rome. How are they hearing this? He's saying, don't worry. Your hope is not in this place. Your life may be taken, but your hope is in me. When your hope is in Christ, you see what he has given Ultimately, you see, the end of his life, he gives all of himself for us. And so just as Jesus provided food here to the 5,000, they shared it among each other. So too, he's going to break himself on the cross. And what do you do in response but share the same thing with one another, laying your lives down for each other? The focus of our ministry and church should not be on one, but on one another. And finally, I love this from this passage, just going back to the disciples and seeing what is happening with the disciples, right? Go back to the start. He says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. (laughs) Must have sounded so good to them, right? They just like went out on this journey with no provisions, just hoping to get whatever's next. They had no extra tunic. They just had a staff with them. That's all they had when they went and did these miracles. They went and they were obedient. They did this great ministry and they came back and they they told Jesus, look what we did. He said, okay, great, let's go rest a while. And by that I mean just in the boat ride to the next ministry stop. (laughs) You know they were beat and tired. You know that they were worn out. They are not the son of God. They're human flesh and they poured themselves out in obedience and God says, come away, come away. It is right that we live balanced lives, that we, that we strive not to overdo ourselves, that we strive not to uh, push ourselves too far, that we're not taking care of ourselves, that we, that we take care of ourselves, right? Like God wants us to take care of ourselves, okay? He does. I, I'm just going to say that right out, okay? He wants the disciples to find rest. But their rest is not in what they think is rest. Their rest is in the Lord, Okay? And so when Jesus comes and sees this crowd running in fervor to exalt him as king, he has compassion on them. And his compassion on them them outweighs the capacity that these disciples have. It is more than they have to come and minister, can keep ministering. They need rest. 
But sometimes when you're following Jesus, you have to let compassion outweigh your capacity. Listen, be aware of your capacity and guard it and shepherd it as you need to. But sometimes, I'm telling you, God calls you to give when you don't have anything. And when he does that, step forward in obedience. You know when you're at your limit. And you know when God says, it's time to move. You know. If you've walked with the Lord anytime, you know the voice of Holy Spirit. And you know the feeling of not having enough. And you say, God, I can't go another step. And he says, go, another step. You're like, what the heck? There's no food. There's 5,000 men here. How are we going to get enough food for them? Because I'll just give it to them. (laughs) What? That's insane. They're at the end of their rope. They're tired. They're ready for these people to go away to other villages and get food. But did they, like, run away from Jesus in this moment? No. He says, how much do you have? And they've got five pieces of bread and two fish. Not enough. Just if you're counting, not enough. There are actually people who look at this passage and say, this is a great moralistic teaching on how if we just sacrifice little bits to everybody, it'll spread through a lot of people. I'm telling you, Five loaves of bread and two fish are not going to go through 5,000 men and their kids and their wives. It's not going to happen. This is not some moralistic teaching. This is the provision of the hand of God for this moment. And the disciples say, okay, we'll start breaking the bread. (laughs) And they keep breaking the bread. In obedience, they say, okay, Jesus, let's let's go another step. I can't even comprehend the lack of capacity they have right now. And they're saying, okay, I'll go. I'll go another step. And they do it, right? And the most beautiful part of this uh, picture is that the, the disciples are also cared for here. In the end of it, right, what happens? They take up 12 basketfuls of bread and fish. I mean just happen to be 12, right? When God calls you to give compassion beyond your capacity, he also blesses you with bountiful leftovers. When you pour yourself out like Christ poured himself out, he doesn't leave you hanging. He fills your cup. Okay, Anybody that's been on a mission trip knows You go for the mission. You're like, I'm going to go to this mission. I'm going to serve these people, and they're going to be better off, and they're going to know Jesus and all this stuff. Guess who gets blessed? You. That's right. Zach does. So I challenge us today, let's be like this crowd, okay? Let's be like them in their fervor for Jesus. But let's be like them for the right reason. Let's be like them because we know a Jesus that has given himself on the cross. And we just want to run to his feet every single day and know what he has for us next. Let's turn inward. 
okay? Let's turn inward. Let's take care of one another. Let's get into groups of hundreds and fifties and whatever it is and care for each other, not exalting some special gift that we think is so special, but rather exalting what God has given us in the body of Christ. And finally, let's recognize that we don't have anything to give. We don't have anything to give to begin with. We got nothing. I got nothing to start. Okay. And so when God says go, let's just go. Okay. God's compassion for this world definitely outweighs our capacity, and that's where faith comes in when we're a body of Christ. Okay. We look at our capacity and say, we don't have enough, but God told us to go. So we're going to go. This Jesus has called us to something different, a kingdom that is above this world. And you know it from the beginning to the end. The same gospel you heard when you first came to know Jesus is the same gospel you have to apply to your life today, the same gospel you have to apply to your life tomorrow. We live in this place of recognizing we lack what God calls for. We lack it every single day. But by the blood of Jesus and by his strength, we have it in his name. And so repent of trying to do it on your own capacity. And rather believe in what God has given you in spite of your capacity. He's given you Jesus and he's brought you into the presence of the Father. And there is no lack there. There is abundant provision beyond what you even gave in the first place. Twelve basketfuls available for you as you give. Let's run to Jesus and find our rest, not in things of this world, but rather in him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, the rest that you only can give. We thank you for the things you call us to do. We thank you that your capacity is greater than ours, Lord. We thank you that your compassion is beyond ours, God. So we pray that as we um, look at our lives, as we look at our city as we look at um, the things you've called us to do, that we wouldn't measure our capacity and say, we can't do it, we just got to stop and go back. But rather, we would see that we have to continue to walk in faith. Lord, help us, for we repent, for we have trusted in what we have. And we believe in you. That in spite of the fact that we don't have enough, you have everything. And so by faith we walk following you exactly where you would lead us. And God, we repent. Because this week we've messed up. And we need your grace once again. And we believe that you've given it in your son, Jesus Christ, that your grace is enough for each of us and all will be satisfied in your name. And it's in your name we pray, amen.